Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? Um, you may have gotten the email, you may not have, and so if you didn't get the email, we, we are in the book of James. We're taking just a slight detour um, as Cornerstone got together and the staff got together and decided this, up, this new series, Religious IQ, uh, they realized very, very quickly that to give a 35 or 40 minute presentation on Sunday without the opportunity to dialogue on important issues such as not only the Bible and Jesus, but then we're going to dive into atheism, Mormonism, Catholicism, Islam, uh, to do that and not leave an opportunity to, for us to dialogue um, w- wouldn't be prudent on our part. And so we're going to take a short little six-week detour, and we're actually going to track Sunday morning the best we can and allow the conversation to continue uh, from what Pastor Lynn and the other guest speakers that are going to, going to be present on Sunday. Um, the ones, uh, there are a few of them, I believe the ones doing Mormonism, the ones doing Islam, uh, they're actually going to be here on Tuesday nights. And so they're going to join me up here. And, um, and I, I talked to Marty Sawyers and just said, hey, um, instead of having me come up and, and try to make sense of what they said and try to give it back to you, and, and why don't we just bring them up here? And so that's what's going to happen uh, I believe late um, January, early February for those two weeks. And then the rest of the weeks, um, I'll try to, to take copious notes on Sunday and, and help us all understand maybe exactly what was being said. Of course, this past week, we talked about the Word of God. Um, so if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it up. We're going to go to Second Timothy real quick, Second Timothy 3. And, uh, and look into the Word. Um, for those of you who haven't been here before, again, if you have a question or a thought or comment, uh, just raise your hand. We've got runners here, mic runners, and they'll be glad to, to, uh, to answer your, uh, not answer your questions, get you the mic, and maybe they will answer your questions. I don't know, fine with me. Um, as Pastor Lynn was speaking on Sunday, um, I don't know, you know, how you feel, honestly, I don't know how you feel about the Word of God, um, and I don't know when you came to faith, and uh, and, but we're all, what, no matter what your version is, we're all reading out of the same scriptures. And, um, when Leanne passed away, uh, coming up on three years now, um, I started this process of making out a will and, um, and can I just, be, can I have true confessions here? Cause I, I have uh, a 13, eight and seven year old. And so she passes away and she was 35 and, you know, that was one of the very first things, um, after kind of the, the, the funeral and whatnot is people just hounded me. You got to get a will. You have to. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, I just, you know, um, so I got the process together. I got a lawyer and, you know, went through the whole process and after several meetings and we just, we, and, and so here I am and I'm, we're at almost the three year mark. I've got just a couple more meetings and that will is going to be, that will is going to be done. So, um, I'm excited about that. One of the things, though, that he had me do was go through, you know, and if you've done this, um, you know, what do you want to leave and who do you want to leave it to? And, um, and, and amidst all of the things that I have, which aren't many, um, I really struggled with this. Uh, this, has been, um, this has been my Bible since I came to faith in Christ. I came to faith in 1986. And, uh, and I didn't know anything about Bibles or, you know, a kind or what a version or so I just went out and got one and, and it was a hardback and, and I didn't know you shouldn't write in your Bible. So I just wrote in my Bible, all kinds of stuff. And, and then God had me on a journey through, uh, I went to Arizona state and graduated there and then went on staff with campus crusade for a little while and, and left that and then went to seminary and, and went on this journey of getting my education in the Bible, basically, um, spent some time over at Talbot and. And before you know it, um, 
this is my notebook. This has become my notebook. I've, I've, I thought, you know, if I'm going to be preaching quite a bit, um, why use other notes? I mean, I can just look at this and look at my notes at the same time and save some time. And so I just started writing all my notes and thoughts and what other people have taught me and just write in here. And so it's messy and it's confusing. But the one thing I love about it is I can actually see my Bible now because I've had it for 27 years or so. It's been rebound. My mom, bless my mom, she, for my Christmas one year, she got my Bible bound for me, sent it away in Tennessee. And that was about 10 years ago. And, and now it needs to be rebound again, obviously. Um, but, but I treasure this. And that's my whole point is I teach high school kids, I teach them the Bible, and so often my high school kids are leaving their Bibles in my classroom. And their claim is, well, I'm, I'm here every day, and so I'll be back tomorrow. You're the, you're the class we talk about the Bible, so why not leave it in here? And in fact, I had one student say that, and I said, well, what, what about that time where, where you're driving somewhere and you get into a conversation with a friend, or, and you need your Bible, but it's in my classroom? And I don't know if it's just our generation, those of you who are, are my age or older, or we just learn to bring your Bible everywhere, right? You just stick it in your car or your briefcase or keep it at home, wherever you're at, you just bring your Bible with you. And technology, of course, has helped us now because we can have it on our phones and tablets. And... But my question, I guess, as we start th- this evening is, is and this um, really will tell you a lot about the, where, where we're going to go this next hour, but do you treasure this? Is this something that you just kind of casually have? Is it something that you reference? Or is it the living, breathing word of God? Is this your life manual? Is this what tells you not only what to do, but how to do it day in and day out? Um, and so w- when I was writing out my will, I, I really struggled with who do I want to leave this with? Because i got three kids and um, I defaulted to my, my eldest um, because I thought, well, he came first. He deserves it, I guess. So, um, and, and he won't get half the stuff in here. It just won't mean a whole lot to him. But, but maybe, I just maybe as he reads through, and, and I don't know what he'll do with it, but maybe as he reads through it, he'll understand um, that his imperfect, very fallible, very sin-filled dad um, treasured God's word. And if I could leave that, now, who knows what, what God might do with him with that. Um, I, I treasure God's word, folks, because of passages like 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, look at verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I treasure God's word because God's word tells me that his word is inspired by him. Uh, that inspired just means uh, God breathed. It means that he, he is the, the ultimate author of the Bible. Uh, all scripture um, and all there in the Greek is all. And so it means all of it is inspired by God. It's God breathed and it's profitable. Uh, it's profitable for four things, Paul tells us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And this is why God's word is, uh, I treasure it, is because of verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate and equipped, or add the word for adequate there is capable, may be capable or adequate and equipped for every good work. I want my life to be full of good works. I'm, I'm sure you do too. And so I start tonight with just having us understand that that's what this, that's what this book does for you and for me. 
it's not just profitable so we can gather on Tuesday nights and just learn a little bit. It's profitable because it's living and breathing and active, and it will change your life if you let it. Um, Start tonight, I guess, with a little bit of um, um, PowerPoint, I guess, if we can do this, maybe. Okay. Um, What would you do with $47 million if you won it tonight? Um, if, you, if you had $47 million, um, because that's the Mega Millions lottery number tonight, they're drawing numbers tonight, um, maybe some of you bought some tickets, and you may have won $47 million. And if you get the call tomorrow, or you look at the numbers tonight, and you find out you've just won $47 million, my question is, what would you do with that money? And granted, most of us aren't going to be in a position where we we really will have to think about that and answer that. But as you just begin to process, what would I do with 47 million? If I had to get 47 million, what would I do with it? Whatever you're thinking and whatever you decide to do with that money tells me a lot about what you think about the Bible. And you may say, well, all I'm doing is deciding what I'm going to do with 47 million dollars. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. What you decide to do with that $47 million tells me everything about your worldview. And so how you choose to spend it and what you choose to spend it on or what you choose to do with it tells me what you believe about the most important things in life. And really that's just a kind of a layman's definition of a worldview is, is how you, how you, what you do with and how, what you believe about the most important things in life. Finances obviously being one of them. And so if you say something like, um, uh, you know, I, I, wh- what would I do with $47 million? I would, um, you know, I'd invest it or I'd save it or I'd, I'd give it away or tells me what you think about the Bible because the Bible talks about finances. And so the guy or girl that says, here's what I would do with it. I would find out what the Bible has to say about finances and then I would do what the Bible tells me to do with that money tells me how much you value this. And as I ask people, you know, that kind of question in small group Bible studies or in my classes or even here, of course the answers vary. I ask my students this and they will say things like, you know, I'll buy this and I'll buy that and I'll buy this and I'll go here and I'll take a trip here and I'll go there. That tells me about your worldview and it tells me about what you think about God's word. Because if you answer that question with, I'm going to go here and do this and buy that and my challenge is, is are you truly governed by this? Well, yes, I am, because I would then, after all I've done for myself, I will kick a little bit back over to the church. Just so I can feel good. Okay, that's, but that tells me to the degree you're being governed by his word. And here's, here's why this is important, guys. It's not because you and I are going to get $47 million. The reason that this is important is because what we're talking about is we're talking about truth or absolute truth versus relativism. Absolute truth comes to you and to me and says, something is true. If it's absolutely true, it's true. If it's true for one person, it's true for everybody. And if it's true during a certain period of time, it's true for all periods of time. That would make that truth absolute. Relativism comes along and says it depends on the people, place, timing, things, and events as to whether it's true or not. 
we hear it in terms of, well, it works for me, but that might not work for you. That's a relativistic statement. Um, We hear it in terms of, um, well, it's true because I believe it to be true. That's a relativistic statement. Uh, Most commonly, I guess, and and it's creeping into the church today, listen to this and see if, if you've heard this before. I believe the Bible's absolutely true. I believe what's in here is absolutely true. But if you believe principles or thoughts that contradict what's in here, not only is that okay for you, but I'm okay with that being okay for you. That's a relativistic statement. Because guys, at the end of the day, if I believe something in the Bible is true, and you believe something that is contrary to what the Bible says is true, we both could be wrong. But we both can't be right. And there's some things in the Bible, guys, I believe, honestly, that are worth being right over. Uh, We would call those the major doctrines, basically, of the Bible. The popular opinion today, um, I don't know if we have this up on uh, the screen here, but you'll see bumper stickers like this, and I don't know if, if... you know, you've seen these on the freeway or, or wherever. Uh, these coexist or tolerance bumper stickers. These are relativistic bumper stickers. These are bumper stickers that basically say to me and you, what is your problem? Why can't we all just hold hands and, and agree to disagree? And I guess my answer for us in-house here tonight would be because the stakes are too high for us to agree to disagree. If what's in here is simply just a manual on how to live life, then sure. You you take your manual, I'll take mine, and we'll meet at the end of the day. But if what's in here matters for an eternity, and not only matters for an eternity, but it helps determine your destination for an eternity, then then this is unacceptable. And, And simply put, the reason it's unacceptable isn't because you're a mean person or you're a bad person or that you're intolerant or that you're exclusive. What makes it what makes it unacceptable is at the end of the day, we have different thoughts about certain major things, including Jesus Christ. Heaven and hell, the authority of God's word, God himself. That's what makes it unacceptable. It's not that you don't like these people that have different faiths or maybe even love these people that have different faiths. It's simply the faith itself, the doctrine of the faith itself comes in direct conflict with what the Bible says. And so we have to go back to this issue of do you believe what the Bible says is absolutely true? Or do you take a position that says, well, I believe it's true. But if you believe something else, then not only am I okay with you accepting it, but I'm okay with that. Um, I, I found this video, and, and I, I thought this person here, I, I've never met him, but I thought he did a wonderful job of explaining the, relif- the relativistic position. T- take a look. Ben. Ben, okay. Ben, my name's Chad. So, Ben, you don't believe in right and wrong? No. And why is that? It's purely subjective. I mean, it's never really straight up and down, if that makes any sense. That's kind of the best way I could explain it. So when you think of something like torturing babies for the fun of it, you can't say that's 
black and white wrong? You, you say that it's, it's, it's open? I say it's cruel. But I mean like torturing babies for the fun of it. You should be stopped. I don't believe in right or wrong, but I would stop you if I saw you doing it. Okay. I don't think you'd go to hell if you did it though. Because, I mean even if you did go to hell, you can find heaven in hell. When you use a word like should or ought, are you not assuming that there's a certain way that things should or ought to be? Hmm. In my own personal ideals, I, I have an ideal world. But I believe that other people disagree with me about what my ideal world is, and they could be just as right as I am. I think you could be just as right as I am. So you think that each individual person has their own truth value, and it's equivalent to one another. I have my opinion, you have your opinion, and neither one of us has any more truth value than the other? Essentially. Just yes or no? Yes. So your truth value, your opinion, has no more weight or bearing than a child molester's or a rapist? They still believe what they believe, you know? Like, think about it, how many rapists were priests? Uh, the question was, though, you believe by your standard that their moral opinion is just as valuable, not any less valuable, than yours. It has just as much weight. Yeah, they're still human beings. Everybody has their, everybody has their right to have their moral opinion. Now, the rest of the human race and the rest of the world, maybe even the rest of the universe, nature itself, may try to stop that because it's something that goes against, you know, how do I word this, the well-being of everything around it, but I still think they're entitled to do that. Just like, and I, they're going to tape this, and I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I have to, just like I think Hitler's entitled to do what he did, but I still would have fought against him. Why would you fight against him? I don't agree with the taking... Just, I don't believe in genocide. It's too kind. It's like, it's just like, you know, the right versus wrong. It's like saying, because you're you, you're wrong. And just kind of going back on what you're saying, though, that's only your opinion, and your opinion ultimately has no more value than a child molester's or a rapist. Pretty much. Isn't there something within you that just kind of screams, this is just wrong, but I can't explain it from my worldview? Nope. Isn't there something within you that just says, Raping and child molesting isn't only subjectively wrong, it's not just wrong because that's my opinion, but it's absolutely wrong, but with my worldview, I just can't explain that somehow. Is that sort of the conundrum that you're in? Hmm. Something along those lines. <laughs> that's what happens when you give up belief in God, when you suppress the truth. Uh, I appreciate his honesty, and yet um, I would be hard-pressed to actually boil down what exactly he believes. Right? I mean, if you had to write a paper on what he believed, what, what, what would your paper include? And yet, guys, sadly, this is, by, by and large, this is uh, the popular opinion that is, is trampling. Um, through not only your high schools and colleges, but even into your churches now. Because what our friend was explaining here, what he tried to explain anyway, was an incredibly tolerant position. And yet he found that just a few questions deep into that tolerant position, he became what? Intolerant. And that's the problem. And so we have these two 
kind of these two ideas of truth and absolute truth and relativism. And I'm begging you tonight to make a decision which one you're going to land on. Because here's why it matters. You get the PowerPoint. Um, it matters because of questions like this. Um, if I were to ask you, what is your thought on these particular things, I wonder what you would tell me. What is your thought on extramarital or premarital sex? What is your thought on Jesus being God? What is your thought on loving your enemies or there being a heaven and hell or how one gets to those places? What's your thought on watching pornography or not getting angry or getting drunk or giving of your time and money? What is your thought about the Bible being the inerrant, holy, true word of God that applies to me and to you today. That's why this matters. That's why you making a decision on whether the Bible is true or not, or relative just because you believe it, but someone else doesn't have to believe it, is imperative because of practical questions like this. That's why theory is theory, but practically. And here's the beauty, guys. Here's why I love absolutely love God's word. You can take a man and a woman from different walks of life, different ages. They speak different languages, different economic levels, different education levels. But if they both answer that last question, correct? If they both agree on that last question, if their thoughts are aligned on that last question, then everything up there they will agree on Because they will start the conversation with, what is your thought on not getting angry? Well, the Bible says. What is your thought on getting drunk? Well, the Bible says. What is your thought on pornography, homosexuality, abortion, financial reform? What is your your position? And their answer is going to begin with, well, the Bible says. And the beauty for centuries now is that whatever the Bible says on these things hasn't changed. And praise God, it never will change. So you can be rest assured that those things become absolute truths. Why? Because they're applicable for all people, all times, no matter of economic status or education level or where you grew up or how long you've been a Christian. Whatever the Bible says about these things applies to all of us. And that's why you can take two people from different walks of life. And that's why heaven's going to be so beautiful, guys. Because someone that believed in Jesus in 200 AD was following the same word of God that you're following and I'm following in 2013. And we will get to heaven and rejoice over the same word of God. It hasn't been revised. It hasn't been edited. It needs no additional information. It is the holy, true, final word of God. And that's why I can stand on firm feet when I talk to my kids and say, this is why I don't want you to do X, Y, and Z. Why? Because this is what God's word says about X, Y, and Z. And I don't have to worry about a new version coming out in 10 years that may may have a different opinion. I don't need to worry about even what my pastor has to say about X, Y, and Z in terms of his or her own thoughts. This is what we land on, is the word of God. And so are, you, are, are we students of this word? Um, now, now, here's where it becomes a little um, tough. Just because you believe it's God's word, two things, doesn't mean you're going to obey it. Amen? And it doesn't mean that they're not difficult concepts. 
So please don't leave here thinking, well, uh, you know, I believe this is true. I've got this all figured out now. Because for those of us that have been around for a little while in the faith, we've been wrestling with issues personally and corporately for decades. And we're plagued sometimes at night in our rooms all alone about why God does it have to work out this way. How many of you are doing like the whole read through the Bible thing in Genesis? Anybody doing that? Okay, I'm the only one doing that. Okay, thank you. Three of us are doing it, okay? So we're right around in Genesis 10, 11, 12-ish, right? I, I read this morning. I was reading Genesis 12 this morning. And this is the whole story of, of God. And, um, and he sends Abram out and he says, go pack up and go. And Abram's 75 years old. And so, he's, so he goes. Gets his wife Sarah and, 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 and his nephew Lot. And they just go. And, and then there's a famine, right? There's a famine in Negev, I believe. And, and so they head on to, to Egypt. And I'm reading, you know, and they're heading on to Egypt. And, and they get to the border. And Abraham, Abram at the time, says to Sarai, his wife. And, and she's got to be like, what, 50, 75 years old as well. But he says, to paraphrase, you, you're hot. Right? And so if we go into Egypt with you and your hotness, Pharaoh likes the hotties. And if we go into Egypt and you're looking all hot, all 75 years old, and which, which again, I'm sitting there in, in, I got this little prayer closet thing. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, how is Pharaoh attracted to this? But he is, whatever. And so, so Abraham says to Sarah, listen, you're hot. And so, so those of you who know the story, what does he tell Sarah to, t- to, to do? So for, for the next however long the famine is, you're my sister. And knock her upside the head, Sarah, she goes along with it. Oh, what kind of marriage is that? Pretend to be my sister for the next, you know, several months. Okay. <laughs> anyway, they go in, sure enough, word gets out, word gets up to Pharaoh, there's a new hottie in town. And he says, is she, is she with anyone? And they check around, find out. Now her and her brother came into town. She's not with anyone. So what does Pharaoh do? Scoops her up. Not only does he take her as his wife, but you know what the passage says? Who does he bless? He gives Abraham stuff. He gives him male and female servants and donkeys and goats and all kinds of stuff. And then the passage says, and he takes Sarah as his wife, as one of his wives. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage. So I'm reading along and I'm thinking, wow, this guy sold out his wife as his sister. I mean, get inside the mind of Abraham there. Pharaoh's men come to Abraham and say, and to Sarah and say, uh, Abraham, uh, the, the Pharaoh's requested your presence to be one of his wives. You must come with us now. And, and, and for releasing your sister, here's a, here's a truckload of stuff for you. And Abraham has to watch his wife walk off with these men to become one of Pharaoh's wives. And he does. And then it says, as Pharaoh took Sarah as one of his wives, and then it says, um, and then God got angry. But guess who got ang- God got angry at? Pharaoh. What? Pfft, he got angry at Pharaoh. So I'm sitting there reading this morning. I'm thinking, no, God, no. It was Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> I 
sends plagues Pharaoh's way, right? And then, and it doesn't, the passage doesn't tell us this, but here's what's interesting about the passage. The passage says, Pharaoh then sends basically Sarah back and, and gets mad at Abraham and says, what have you done to me? Because your God now is angry with me, sending plagues my way because she's your wife. So the question I had as I'm reading this morning is, how did Pharaoh know Sarah was Abraham's wife? They must have had a conversation. So, so he takes her as one of his wives. She's the new hottie, new hottie wife. So you can imagine, the scripture doesn't say this, so I don't want to speculate too much, but I have to imagine they slept together. And so it's after that point in time, God gets angry at Pharaoh, sends plagues his way. Pharaoh gets angry at Abraham. And Pharaoh says, get out of, take your wife and get out of here. And before I close my... And and then the next chapter, you start reading chapter 13, we're on to a new event. Abraham and Lot are now going to divide up the land. And I'm I'm kind of flipping. I'm like, wait a minute. I got questions here. Here's my biggest question. Did Abraham give back the stuff? (laughs) We don't know. Never says. Not only does it not say that, but, but, but unlike some other passages where people have lied and lost their lives like that, who does Abraham become? The father of Israel, the father of all nations. It, it's almost like, because the passage is silent here, it's almost like God just kind of let that thing go. And before I close my Bible t- this morning, I had a little tiff with God. I said, God, I don't get it. You tell me lying's wrong. You tell me deceiving's wrong. You tell me adultery's wrong. You don't explicitly tell me this, but I'm sure that selling out my wife as my sister is wrong. Somewhere in there, there's something about that. And yet Abraham, the, the one that you chose, did all of those things. He walks off with a truckload of stuff. I don't get it. I don't get it. And my prayer this morning, guys, was, um, God, I'm glad you're God. I'm glad you're God because, because I don't get it. But if I believe that this is true, wholly true, absolutely true, then the beauty, guys, of living the Christian life is you don't have to get it all the time. Because you're trusting in a God who does get it. Um, take this, uh, for example. I don't know if you have this on PowerPoint. Um, one of the things up there I asked you um, was, do you believe in a heaven and a hell? And I think if I were to ask every one of us this, every one of us, most everyone would raise their hand, yes, I believe in a heaven and a hell. Great. Do you believe that heaven and hell last forever? And most of us would follow the orthodox position, which would say, Yes. Can I, do you know why you believe that? Can I just... Okay, okay, good. Bible says so. Here's why I think most people believe that. Is because of the heaven lasting forever. Most people will subscribe to this because they want to believe that heaven lasts forever because that's where they want to go. And so I want to believe that heaven lasts forever because... I want to go to heaven. I hear good things about heaven. And so, yeah, I want it to last forever. 
But what we, where we struggle is marrying those two doctrines. That heaven lasts forever, but Jesus comes along and says, if you're going to believe heaven lasts forever, he, try this on for size, hell lasts forever. Guys, and here's where the Christian life becomes very, very difficult. And this is why, though I don't agree with coexist and tolerance and let's hold hands and ecumenical and I don't agree with it, I understand it. Because Jesus comes to you and to me and says, there's a location called hell, it's not good, and it's going to be populated. And it's going to be populated by people who have not bowed to the cross. Who have not accepted me as their savior. Who have not believed in me for eternal life. And lest we get into the, well, that's where rapists deserve to go. That's where child molesters deserve to go. That's where people that come into schools and shoot other people deserve to go. Lest we get into that realm, let's stay in this realm. Uh, My neighbor who's an atheist but pays their taxes, never been to prison. If they don't know Jesus as their savior, they're going to hell forever. Your friend who's a Jew who doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they're an upstanding good citizen and they've never gotten a ticket in their life. If they die next week without knowing Jesus as their savior, scripture is clear. They'll be in hell forever. So let's live in the realm of friends and relatives and co-workers and neighbors, because I'm going to just take a leap here and say most of us don't hang out with and run with people that that hack other people up and 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 all the, the extremists most of us just run here and this guys is where it, where where what i'm talking about here becomes a very very big issue for you because if you subscribe to everything i was just saying up here the bible is wholly true it applies to you and to me today for all times then i've got to understand and come under the authority of the entirety of the scriptures So here's what the Bible says about hell. Jesus himself said, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. They mean those who don't know him. Jesus himself said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me who you are are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for his devils and angels. Jesus himself said, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally... John writes, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And if there's one doctrine, one theological issue over the past 25 years of my life that in my humanity I have wrestled with God with, it's this one. Because I have looked at friends or co-workers or neighbors that don't know Jesus and I can't get my mind around this. I can't get my mind around, yeah, God, they don't know you, and they sin, but God, I sin. Yeah, well, they, they commit adultery. Well, we commit adultery. I mean, what, what sin has the sinner committed that you and I haven't committed? And so I come to these passages, and I say, God, I just, I don't get it. I don't get the forever part. But I can't slip into relativism, which says, well, this works for me because I'm going to heaven. But if you're not going to heaven, then let's find another way for you because this doesn't make sense to me. 
And guys, this is honestly where, I don't know about you, but this is where I honestly have to just, just sit down and I have to say, God, this is a faith issue. This isn't a logic issue. This isn't an intellect issue. This isn't a, oh, I've got this figured out issue. This is a heart-to-heart, I don't, I don't get it, God. And can I be honest with you, God? I don't know if I like it. And God's going to say to you maybe one day, as he said to me, um, I'm okay with you not liking it, Greg. And one day, maybe, one day, um, I'll shed some light your way, and you'll begin to understand it just a little more. And maybe not. Either way, I'm still God, and you're not. And what you have to decide, and what I have to decide, Christ follower here tonight, is when those times come where I find myself going this way and God's word is going this way, who's going to win? I heard a story once of a lady who took a black Sharpie and the things she didn't like in here, she just marked out. She made it real clear who won, who, who wins those debates. See, guys, and this is what makes the Christian life, to me, I guess, um, so important, I guess. It's because there are things in here that, that, that I don't like, I don't get, I don't want to do. And God comes to you and to me gently and says, I'm not changing this. You can kick and scream and you can use all the human wisdom you've got to tell me your way is better. I'm not changing this. So what's in here is in here. Now what you have to decide, Christ follower, is am I going to follow it? And those were Lynn's kind of two points as, as we wrapped up on Sunday. His two points were, uh, do you believe it and are you going to obey it? Uh, honestly, I, I, don't, I honestly do not care really if you believe it or not. As much as I care, are you going to obey it? Sinful? Absolutely. Are you going to mess up? Uh, Hopefully. Um, Because that proves you're human. But are you going to obey it the best you possibly can? The Bible simply calls that righteous, being righteous, right living. And and so why? I mean, what's what's the benefit of that? I got to look no farther than my kids for the benefit. Because it gets me off the hook. When I have to have tough conversations with my kids about lying or sin or stealing, or it gets me off the hook when they have to look at me and say, um, well, who's coming up with this? Then we can, we can land here. And we can agree that this is God's word. And as long as you're under my roof, this is the rule book. This is what we follow. But my prayer is, is that they wouldn't just grow up under the rule book, but they would fall in love with this rule book. Because it's so much more than, obviously, a rule book. Um, I'll take a question here, but do you even know how this book came about? Because because it's, it's a miracle in and of itself because it's so human the way it came about. Uh, take this question, 40 authors, 1,500 years. This thing wasn't canonized in terms of like they didn't package it until 397 A.D. And the way they packaged it was a bunch of guys sat in a room with a bunch of letters and they picked these. That means that some letters didn't get in. See, it wasn't this 
magical aha light and kind of Joseph Smith kind of a deal. This was, this was centuries of work where so many things could have happened not to make this happen. That finally the guys in 397 got the Council of Carthage got together and said, we need, to, we need to circle the wagons here because too many letters are being passed around the churches that, that, are, that, are, are, um, that, are, that are not right. And so, so we need to circle the wagons here and determine once and for all what is the canon, both Old and New Testament. And this is what they landed on. But lest you think that it was some sort of a miracle, earth-shaking, Acts 2 type of event, it wasn't. And yet, here, and yet here, here you and I would stake our lives on this thing. That's what, to me, makes it miraculous. Not that some guy sat in some dark room somewhere and wrote the Bible. But that men from, from different continents... And different centuries who didn't even know each other were so inspired by God to write. Who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? Moses did, but where was he in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and Moses was there <laughs> taking notes. You know that when a Jewish boy, um, right around 12 or 13 years old, back in the day, they would have to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They memorized it at 12 or 13 years old, the Jewish boys. If they were good, they kept going. We can barely find it. They're memorizing it. Um, Moses, when do you think he wrote it? That's a lot of writing. He wasn't a writer. Um, wouldn't it make sense that if God says, you're not going to the promised land, you're going to wander around a fairly small area for four decades, you got some time on your hands. So my guess is, as he's sitting there all dusty and nappy and all bored, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all the way through Deuteronomy. That's my guess. Yeah. Okay, so I just was going to share a little verse here. It's in 1 Thessalonians. This is like on the subject of sharing the gospel. Yes. Because one of the troubles that I always had, a fear, was like, well, you know, who's... I always thought, you know, well, who's going to believe it? But this verse really kind of helped that. Um, and it's 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 verse... Well, it starts in verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know... Okay, yeah, but it goes on to, to just say... Yeah, but anyways, it, it's... So I, I've just come to the the conclusion that it's more than just 
you know, our words. I mean, there, there's like a conviction from the Holy Spirit upon, you know, the people who hear it and believe it. So, and it, it does say, you know, Jesus says that not everybody, you know, who is called will come, but. Well, well okay, so real gently here. It, it doesn't say that, but it says everyone who hears his name um, won't come. Um, and I guess semantics maybe, but a little bit of a distinction there. Um, because, because, the, because the scripture does say that God gives Jesus an inheritance. And I believe that inheritance to be us. And that particular passage says that when God gives Jesus an inheritance, he doesn't lose any of us. But he does say in Matthew chapter 7, uh, many will come to me and I will say, I never knew you depart from me, right? So you're exactly right. He does say that. Misquoted that, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. And and guys, to to your point, um, the gospel, the, the reason we need to just fall in love with this is because it will change our lives. Right? And, and, and that's what people are looking for. They're not looking for your knowledge and, and how you can wow them with, with, with your intellect and logic. They're looking for a changed life. They're looking for, when you take them to passages that talk about Christ redeeming or Christ saving or Christ renewing, they're, they're going to filter that through your life. And they're going to say either again, well, something didn't work there. That therefore, if your life looks nothing like a believer's life should look like, then the Bible is relative to those whom it works for. But what if the Bible were absolutely true in so much that when the Bible says, if you know Jesus, your life will be changed, you will be a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, that then the non-Christian looks at that passage and then they look at your life and they say, oh yeah, it makes sense. And then their conclusion is, therefore the Bible is what? True. And then... They might just, might just say, and if the Bible's true, then I have to believe it. Maybe. So yeah, our lives are, are, makes all the difference. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get your outtake because one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was exactly one of the things that I had been wrestling with, with my faith, with the story of Abraham and questioning, like, how is that? You know, how can people that are good people that don't necessarily believe in God or haven't found him yet, if they were to die, they're going to go to hell. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather is really, really into his faith, and I talk to him and I lean on him. One of the scriptures that he uh, read to me that sticks with me that I, that I always even tell my kids now that they're of age and they're asking questions of why does that happen, like about the school shooting, like, yeah. you know, how could that happen? Yeah. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It just sticks out in my mind and um, when it comes to like why you people question God and why would God let that happen or and such, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that just kind of really stuck out to me when my grandfather told me that. Yeah. He said, his ways are not our ways. It's we a great, yeah. That. There's no way to understand that. 
So don't question it. It's not kind of just like, well, I'm God, you're human, deal with it. But he, the context of that scripture, of that verse, kind of just hits home where we're on earth and his ways are not our ways and vice versa. It's a great passage. Thank you so much for that. Um, isn't it true, though, that sometimes it just doesn't satisfy? <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, read Romans 9. If you, if you want to be unsatisfied, read Romans 9. Who are you, O oh man, to speak back to God? What, does, the, does the clay say to the potter, why'd you make me this way? Shut up and keep going, is basically what Paul is saying there. You don't talk back to God. Like, how dare you talk back to God? And I get it. I understand what he's saying because of the grandness of God. But in our humanness, when we see things like what happened in Newtown or, or, or even last night when that police officer got shot last night. Why? Um, and that's what, guys, that's, I hope that you love that about God is um, he gives you answers and yet sometimes he's mysterious. Uh, to, for God to be sovereign has to confuse us. If God's sovereignty, if God's ways don't confuse you, he ceases to be God. And I see this over and over and over again in the lives of my students. Because of the pain they go through with divorce and affairs and, and just family life. And, and almost weekly I get the proverbial why. Why'd this happen? And guys, can I just be honest with you? Um, um, it gets tiring in terms of back here, in terms of living, you know, we should live rightly. It gets tiring when I have to say to these students, um, I don't know, but God is still good. I'm right in saying that. It's just tiring. Why did my uh, dad leave again? I don't know, but God is still good. Why is my mom doing this? I don't, I don't know, but God is still good. It I, I rest on that, and I know you're imperfect, and I'm imperfect, and we live by God's grace. I get that. Sometimes our kids don't get it because they haven't lived long enough, and I get that too. But there are some things that you and I can control, and there are things that, um, that we put in the path of our kids to make them ask that question, juxtaposed against God's goodness. They're looking at me and, and others teach them about God and his goodness and, and he will change your life and he'll do great things in you. And then they look at mom and dad, so um, uh, supposed Christ followers, and they say, well, I don't, why? And I just, it, and I get it because I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Where I get that, but it's a new year, right? It's a new year, man. Let's, we can make changes. We really can. If you don't believe that God's word, spending time in his word, and this may sound very Awana's Sunday school-ish, but I don't care. If you don't, if you don't think that spending daily time with God is worth it, um, you, you probably never have. If you spend time with him daily, and guys, let me just kind of be honest with you. When I said this morning that I do my little prayer thing, you know, I open this up and it's actually got a voice thing. So it reads it to me. I don't even read it. I just follow along. And so I follow along, and, and some guy speaks to me about God's word, and you know, and don't know who he is. Got a great voice. I'm not saying make it difficult. I'm not saying um, you know 
go face down for seven hours in sackcloth and ashes. But I am saying that you've got to make a commitment. We've got to do our part. And our part is, is, as the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. Why did David's soul thirst after God? Because he woke up one day and decided, you know what, I think I'm going to thirst after God today. No, because God was changing his life and he found the way to get to know and increase this desire to get to know his God is through what God provided for him, which at that time was the law. But for you and me, it's the whole of scripture. If you think your life is going to be changed by just coming here every Sunday and maybe occasionally on Tuesdays, you're mistaken. Sorely mistaken. These are the, these are the fun moments. These are the, this, this is the dessert of the week. This is the time where we get to exchange ideas and talk about what God's teaching us. This isn't the time to get the majority of your learning in. The majority of our learning, Christian, comes when we're just sitting around at home or driving to work or at work on our break or on our lunch. And we're in God's word, you and him alone. And your prayer is, God, teach me. And God says, thank you. Here you go. Beep, beep. Backs the truck up. Um, it's amazing. It's, it's short. It's almost miraculous. Right? How many of us have, have you, you spent time with God, you've walked away almost in tears because you, you didn't know how powerful the change was. It, it, it's indescribable at times. So make, make, make cornerstone, make Tuesdays and Sundays dessert. But make your meal daily times with God. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, hour. Uh, it's, it's a confusing, difficult, deep, deep book that is also um, life-changing and easy and understandable. Um, yeah. On the why issue... Um... Why did God allow this or God allow that? Yeah. Um, I just think it's kind of like the gears we got for the, the Christmas tree this year, how things work together. Everyone has free will. Yeah. And they exercise their free will. But God can take something and turn that around sure. and make it you come back to it in another way. But usually something good can come out of that if you're willing to be molded by God. It's a great point, and you're right. And, and, and in the heat of the moment, sometimes it's a hard sell um, when grief or tragedy comes our way to say, well, good will come out of it. But, but that's true, and that's the beauty. Is it, the timing may be off sometimes when we, when we share that with people, depending on when they've experienced grief. But we can go home at night. Uh, a friend of mine just lost her mom over the weekend. And though I grieve, I go home thinking, um, good, she's in heaven, that's great. Uh, and good will come of this. Um, real quickly, we'll close in prayer. Um, when Leanne passed away, her, her best friend started making making these blankets for little babies. Lee's blankies. Um, been all over the world. I just got a text from her last night. Um, they, they took 50 blankets down to, or 30 blankets down to downtown Phoenix and gave them out. They usually give them to babies, newborns, you know, and stuff. They gave them to homeless people. And so she sent me pictures. And I thought... Um, at the time, three years ago, my wife gets hit by a car and, and me and three kids, I don't understand it. And, and on some levels, still don't. But I got that and it was just a little taste of some good coming out of that. 
Um, so you're exactly right. But do you know why we think that good will come out of it? Because of Romans what? Romans 8, 28, that says what? For all things work together for good to those who love God and act according to His purposes. That's why we believe it. Not because it's fun to believe, but because it's true. Let's pray. Father, thanks for tonight. I probably, had, uh, probably made more confusion than I did sense, but um, God, we love you, and, uh, and I thank you that uh, this church, um, the teachers of this church, um, we could all go away. Um, and, um, and yet your word remains. And so we know confidently, Father, that the local church, the local body of believers will continue to grow because, um, because your word will be around. And all it takes is a few people to pick up your word, begin reading it, and have their lives transformed, and then a new generation of believers will come. I love, Father, the passage that tells us that uh, the flowers fade, and yet the word of God will last forever. And I'm so looking forward to spending forever uh, with the God of the Bible. We'll give you all the praise this week, Father. Give us a great week. Allow us to learn more about you this week, and then we'll come on Sunday and talk about it. We'll learn about Jesus on Sunday and uh, get this year off to a great start. In your name, amen. We'll see you next Tuesday.